brokers do a great job putting together the OMs and all the property details, but the way that they analyze properties is different than how you as a syndicator should analyze properties. There's additional cost. Best ever listeners, we've got the best ever conference coming up in February. What? February? Yes. I know that's a long way away. But if you want to save on the tickets, then get them now at besteverconference.com because the earlier you buy them, the more money you'll save on them. So go to besteverconference.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff with us today. Sarah May, how you doing, Sarah? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And well, you and I met in Denver. I was in town for my conference and I also spoke at a local meetup and you and I were both on the same panel. Really enjoyed what you were talking about and invited you to be a guest on the show. So I'm grateful for that. A little bit about Sarah. She is a managing partner at Regency Investment Group She initially was investing passively in syndications and now is an active multifamily syndicator. She's built up a rental portfolio of 125 units actively, and she is invested in over 600 units passively. She is a former aerospace engineer who became passionate about real estate investing based in Denver, Colorado. So with that being said, Sarah, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I started out while working a full-time job, mainly two to four unit properties, tried to buy a couple a year with traditional financing, did that for five or six years. And then a couple of years ago, wanted to scale our side gig into more of a business. So started Regency Investment Group and got involved with syndication and partnering with other people to do bigger deals. So last year we purchased the 100 unit apartment building here in Denver with with our partner and looking for the next deal. Mm-hmm. You started investing passively. What did you learn from that experience that then you applied towards your 100 unit that you syndicated? So passive investing is great for getting all the benefits of real estate ownership without the hassle. There's really minimal ongoing management of the investment as a passive investor. You can diversify your portfolio outside of your local market. I'd say what I learned from being a passive investor was just how important the communication was from the sponsor. I was in several different deals and every sponsor did things a little bit differently, but I really appreciated the ones who communicated on a monthly basis, gave simple financial summaries, and then kept to their business plan that they presented initially. So that was big for me. I knew I wanted to communicate with our investors for the deals we put together as efficiently as possible. So we've put some tools together to make very efficient monthly newsletters for our investors and let them know how we're performing, not just the management report, but also comparing that to our performa that we presented when we first raised the capital. What are some of those tools that you mentioned you've put together? Most of it's done in Excel, but I take the key data from the 300-page property manager financial report, plug it into Excel, which runs some basic calculations to give metrics on income performance, expense performance, how we're tracking to our budget, capital expenditure, um, let's see, you know, rent per square foot, things like that. Mm-hmm. You identified an opportunity to then go 
from passive to active. You said you started out while working your full-time job as an aerospace engineer. Did you close on your 100 unit while you had your full-time job? No, I actually was on a leave of absence. I didn't immediately resign from my position. I took a 12-month leave of absence to essentially test out real estate. I'm an engineer, so hedge my bets. I'm <laughs> being risk adverse. So this was over a year and a half ago now. And I was able to essentially educate myself while still working a full-time job, go to lots of conferences. And then I think the biggest piece was finding a mentor who I felt confident would be able to help me meet my syndication goals. And then also finding business partners who had a depth of experience doing what I wanted to do and partnering with them. So once I had those pieces of the puzzle together, I felt a lot more confident leaving my job to focus full-time on real estate. So you basically had income, then you didn't have income for 12 months. What did you think about that? And are you married? I am, yes. And what did your significant other think about that? No income to no income, and now I'm going to just see what happens over 12 months. I think the income part was tough, but we had passive cash flow from our other investments. So it wasn't going to be a pinch, which was, we're grateful for that. But it was more of an identity crisis because when you tell people, oh, you're an aerospace engineer and you work on you know, spacecraft, people kind of get the idea and you don't really have to say much else. But then when you tell someone, oh, you buy apartment buildings and work with investors, it's something most people haven't heard of and it takes a lot more explaining. My identity for 10 plus years had been an engineer. So it was kind of a reinventing myself a little bit, which I think was the scariest beginning. Any tips for someone who has a significant other who they want to propose this to, where they leave their job and don't make money, but they want to pursue this? I would just say, make sure that you're passionate about the business and wanting to stick with it in the long term. I thought things were going to happen immediately after I quit my job. I thought I had everything together, but it still took almost a year before we bought our, our deal with our investors. So hard work and persistence are key. And if you know your own investor DNA, know that multifamily is where you want to be, know that you want to raise capital and be the ringleader for these sort of deals. So go for it. And I think that your passion and um, determination will win over your significant other. You said you had an identity crisis. People knew you as an aerospace engineer. You said that's a pretty simple thing where people understand it. You talk to smarter people than me. I'd have some follow-up questions for you on that, but now's not the time or place for that follow-up line of questioning. As far as changing the perception that people have about you from an aerospace engineer to someone who partners with investors and buys apartment communities, how did you do that? I think a lot of it was just networking. As I got more and more connected with the local real estate industry, that's how I started to be viewed by others. And that's how I started to view myself. In real estate syndication, as you know, there's a large team of people that you have to build around you to be successful. So, you know, talking to the, the brokers, the lenders, the attorneys, the investors, everybody kind of putting together that team around myself. As I did that, it felt like just a natural transition into being a real estate investor full-time. So I think that was the biggest ease the transition of most for me. Let's talk about the 100 unit. What were you personally risking 
by putting that deal together? I think the biggest difference between these large commercial deals and smaller multifamily deals is putting down hard money at the beginning of the contract period. What that is, it's not like a hard money lender, but hard money is essentially non-refundable earnest money, where even if you discover a major defect in the property or the financials, the seller gets to keep your money. And I personally had $50,000 on the line for the deal that we were syndicating. And that was my money. That was investor's money. And the first time you do that, it's a little intimidating. And we did things to mitigate the risk, but that felt like a big risk at first, as well as it takes a lot more upfront costs for due diligence and um, application fees and things like that. So the financial risk felt a little bit more extreme, mm-hmm. but actually managing the property and seeing it go really well, it's been a really non-stressful experience, thankfully. Yes. I'm knocking on wood right now for you, by the way. <laughs> we do non-refundable earnest money day one as well. And there's three scenarios where it would become refundable. One is something wrong with the title. Two is something wrong in the environmental. And then three, seller default. Did you have those three in there or is it just non-refundable? To- we did. We had the title defect and the seller default language in there. I don't remember about the third one, but we did have that. But otherwise, if it's 95% physical occupancy and you go in and you do a lease audit and it's 60% economic occupancy, you got 50K in and you got to figure out what to do, right? You got to make the deal work somehow. What gave you the confidence to put $50,000 online? And I know $50,000 is a lot of money at any point in time in life to Warren Buffett or to a high school student who has never had a job and no savings account. But how significant was the $50,000 to you at that point in time in your financial wealth standpoint? It wasn't going to change our financial situation one way or the other if we had lost that money. But we just had never done an investment where it was that easy to lose your money if one thing went against your favor. But it's still, you know, it's, it's a lot of money. But for the deal size that we were doing, it really was not unreasonable at all to put that much in. I think some deals that size is more like $150,000 non-refundable earnest money. So in that sense, we were getting a good deal, only having to do 50000 But how I got the confidence to move forward with that was just knowing I had the team, knowing I had the business partners who were experienced knowing we had a great lender lined up and had done our due diligence beforehand. We had an early access agreement on the properties, which means we had our HVAC technician, a roofer, plumber, general contractor, all go out to the property and inspect the major system before we sign the contract. So that at least gave us a little more confidence on the physical condition side. And will you elaborate on that in case that's a new term or clause to a best ever listener? Sure. So I don't think it's very common in residential real estate, but when you're putting down this hard earnest money on day one, the contract signing, usually you'll have a couple weeks beforehand where you're negotiating the contract. And during that two week period, sometimes you can get the the seller to agree to let you go on the property for a day, poke around and see if there's anything wrong with the property before you both spend a lot of money drafting up the full contract and moving forward. 
So they let us do that. We weren't able to do unit by unit inspections during that early access day, but we were able to get access into a few units and look at the general structure. What's the incentive for the seller besides the initial legal fees, which would be pretty nominal when drafting the PSA over the first couple of days? What's the motivation for a seller to allow you to do that? my perspective, I think it's just the assurity of closing the deal. If they're willing to let you do that and you get comfortable with it, there's that much more probability that you're going to go see the contract through the entire way and buy the property. If they didn't let you do that, you might find something day 30 into the contract and still be within your right to terminate. And yes, they get to keep your $50,000, but now they have to start from scratch and find a new buyer. So to them, I think it just is more assuring a successful close later on. You've been passively investing in over 600 units. Have any of those sold? The first one is probably going to sell in about a month. <laughs> okay. So you're still in all of those deals. What have you seen that's gone wrong? Oh, there's always things that go wrong. <laughs> On the multifamily side, I think most of the deals I've done have been value-add deals. So it can take longer to get the riffraff tenants moved out of the property. It can take longer to find a good, reputable contractor to renovate the units, property manager issues inspectors on one property. All they wanted to do was renovate the office, but apparently the city had some very stringent codes that they had to do it all the code and mm-hmm. took months just to get the inspector to agree to let them remodel the office. And then other issues, I think the biggest one, honestly, is physical condition of the property. It's tough to know what the plumbing lines look like, what the electrical systems condition is, uh, how long the boilers are going to last, if there's foundation issues. I mean, there's a whole laundry list of items that can go wrong, and some of them are not easily seen. So I think that's the biggest pitfall in some of these passive deals is the sponsors have done the best they could, but then you know there's an issue with the boiler or the roofs, and you have to fix the issue. As a passive investor, what type of communication, I know we talked about it, monthly, simple financial summaries, keep the business plan, et cetera. But specifically when something goes wrong, what have you seen as a communication approach that has worked? And what have you seen that is a bad approach? I think the best tactic that sponsors can take is just being completely transparent with the investors. If something major happens that is $10,000 or more in an unexpected cost, just let them know right away and ideally let them know the plan to take care of the issue and how you're going to pay for it. On the opposite side of the spectrum, I think the worst approach is just not communicating problems or not communicating at all with the investors, leaving them to wonder what's going on. So yeah, definitely over communicate even on the negatives and ideally have a plan of action to address the problems. You've got 125 units, so 100 you syndicated, 25 your own portfolio. What's next for you? Right now, our major focus is finding another apartment deal that we can syndicate. We have lots of investors anxious to get another property in the Denver area, and it's tough finding deals with the market being so tight, so that's our number one priority. Simultaneously, I'm still running our 
other rental portfolio and managing the business plan for our Fairview apartments that we've syndicated and making sure everything stays on track there. You said you're running your other rental portfolio. Does that mean you're self-managing? No, no, but we're always doing projects. We buy B and C class properties. So we're always renovating a property, running out of property, trying to find new properties, selling properties, the asset management side. Okay. I'm with you. How did you find the hundred unit deal you closed on? That was really traditional to begin with. It was a listing that one of the large apartment brokers in town had out and it was a journey getting the property. So we did the open market competition. This was right at the end of 2016 when the elections happened and interest rates spiked. And I think some of the would-be buyers also got cold feet, but unfortunately the seller also got cold feet and decided he wanted to hold on to it for a little while. So even though at that point in time, we'd been the highest bidder, we kind of had to wait on the sidelines. And then five months later, just by keeping in touch with the broker and asking about the property, found out that the seller had wanted to sell again, and we were able to make an offer without any other competition from other groups. Mm. The story of perseverance. What tactics are you using to find deals right now? Mainly through brokers. Also, going to start up a new method, looking at tax distressed properties and potentially reaching out directly to owners. That might be one way of doing it. And then just networking, a lot of networking. I go to several meetups every month, maybe every week, part of the apartment association, and then also part of the another investment group based out of Dallas where my partners are located. So lots of networking. I can find good deals that way too. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I will answer that in a few different ways. So I think it depends what stage you are in your investing. I'd say step number one, make sure you know what you want to be doing. I call this your investor DNA. Do you want to be an active investor or a passive investor? Do you want to be flipping houses, wholesaling, doing multifamily? Does it meet your lifestyle and financial goals with what strategy you want? So I'd say that's step one. And in my case, it's do you want to syndicate large multifamily apartment buildings? And then step two, make sure that you have the passion for the business because like I was saying, it does take a while to build up the team and the kind of the reputation in your local market to get started. And then number three, once you are doing deals, just trust but verify everything that you see. For instance, brokers do a great job putting together the OMs and all the property details. But the way that they analyze properties is different than how you as a syndicator should analyze properties. There's additional costs for closing costs, rehab dollars, working capital, and things that brokers don't usually list because it can fluctuate based on the investor's business plan and what they want to do with the property. So trust to verify and be passionate for the business. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? That's great. All right. First, let's hear from our best ever sponsors. Best ever listeners, we've got the best ever conference coming up in February. What? February? Yes. I know that's a long way away, but if you want to save on the tickets, then get them now at besteverconference.com because the earlier you buy them, the more money you'll save on them. So go to besteverconference.com. The Invest This podcast interviews the elite in real estate investment to uncover the secrets to building an empire in every aspect of real estate investment. Visit 
investthispodcast.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T-T-H-I-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com for the top 10 real estate books to build your empire and to learn more. Best ever book you've read. On real estate, I love the ABCs of real estate investing by Ken McElroy. It's a great introduction to syndication and how to put together bigger deals. And on personal development, I just read the book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, which is a great book that kind of explains why we do what we do and why society has certain norms as well. So it's really interesting. Best ever deal you've done that wasn't your first and wasn't your last? A deal we did was downtown Denver, kind of a little bit of a seedy neighborhood, but close to where things were happening. It was a three unit a long time ago and bought it right before the 2008 recession. But what we learned from that was we still were making money every month from the cash flow and the market went up over time and we sold, you know, with a 200, 250% profit just on the equity gain. So buying markets with sound fundamentals and multifamily will decrease your risk in times of economic downturn. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? I would say having conflicts of interest with other people. One and only fix and flip I did. The contractor was the same as the contract that the broker who sold us the property was using. <laughs> and he was also a fix and flipper. And we found out that the contractor wasn't working on our property because he was working on our broker's property all the time. So yeah, avoid conflict of interest and have strong contractual language. That's actually what saved us in the deal was um, we could have taken the contractor to court for every day he was late for $250, but he decided to eventually get his act together and finish the project. Best ever way you like to give back? I love Junior Achievement. I volunteered with them before. Their mission is essentially to educate young people in financial areas. And our school system doesn't really do a great job educating students. And the fact that 75% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck means that most adults aren't able to educate their children on financial matters. I would love to see more financial education in the schools and junior achievements been doing that for a long time. I share your love for junior achievement. Best ever way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you. Sure. The best ever listeners can contact me probably the easiest through my website, www.regencyinvestmentgroup.com on the contact us page, or you can just reach out directly. My email is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H at regencyinvestmentgroup.com. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show, talking about the evolution of your real estate ventures from the two to four units to syndicating 100 unit apartment communities, how you started investing passively. You learned how important communication is as a deal sponsor and the different aspects of that communication. Certainly helpful for best ever listeners who are looking to eventually syndicate deals. So if they're investing passively, they'll want to invest with a syndicator who is a good communicator. And a way to test that is perhaps asking for reports on other properties that they've recently sent out, just so you get a sense of how they communicate. That way you can verify that since that is such an important aspect for when you eventually do become full-time doing this. And congrats on the 100 unit being not an issue. So again, I've knocked on wood for you on that one. 
and really grateful we got to meet in Denver and looking forward to staying in touch. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Great being on. The Invest This podcast interviews the elite in real estate investment to uncover the secrets to building an empire in every aspect of real estate investment. Visit investthispodcast.com. That's I-N-V-E-S-T-T-H-I-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T.com for the top 10 real estate books to build your empire and to learn more.